Thank you. <laughs> I, I won't be taking up an offering uh, or anything like that. All right, Galatians chapter 1. Is this a little too loud? I feel a, I feel a little weird. All right, um, Galatians chapter 1, and we're going we're gonna to jump on in. So there are several themes that we will encounter um, as we study the book of, Gal- of Galatians. Um, but for today, and, and in some ways I would keep it in mind, you could jot this down as a question to ask yourself about this book and maybe even as a point of application um, throughout the next several weeks. Is the gospel enough? Is the gospel enough? Or do we need to add something to it? Is the gospel enough? So just think about that as we go through this because Paul was encountering a group of churches there in the region of Galatia. Galatia wasn't a particular church, you know, as Daddy talked about. It was a a region there and um, several churches. And this letter was designed to be circulated among the different churches that were there. And one one of the situations, as we'll see very shortly, addresses this particular question. What are you going to do with the gospel, and is the gospel enough? So we'll just jump on in. Verse 1. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through men, I'm sorry, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia. So again, we see that he is writing to a group of churches, not a particular church, and he starts off with this kind of a self-introduction. Now, they all Paul, they certainly knew of Paul, but he is presenting in these first verses his credentials because that's going to be important because he's he's coming up against some controversy and he's trying to, to bring the full authority of who he is um, to bear on this situation because in, in essence there is a question of authority for this group of churches. So it says, Paul, an apostle. You could spend a long time talking about what an apostle is or who an apostle is, but in brief, an apostle is someone who is called out by God for the purpose of ministry. Specifically called out by God. And we know of the uh, original, we call them the 12 disciples, but those people were specifically called out uh, by Jesus himself and as Paul presents his credentials later, he, he claims membership in that group of people who were called out for purpose. And he goes on to say, I'm an apostle, not from men. Now, what he means by that is it wasn't like there was a council of people that got together and imposed their authority on him. Okay, this wasn't by a group of people. Um, in recent weeks, we've talked about the steering committee, and, and we we have delegated as a congregation some authority, some endorsement on a group of men as our steering committee, as our elders. Um, Paul's saying, no, I'm, I'm not receiving my apostleship because someone else has given it to me, not some group, not from men. It says, nor even through man, meaning 
No human, not a human institution, men, not even anything of this earth, man, has given me this authority, but he goes straight to the top. It is through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. That is where my authority is coming from. So he's going straight to the top saying, I've got authority straight from Jesus. And when it says Jesus Christ, who was raised from the dead, um, Paul is all about the resurrection. But this is really the only place in the book where he specifically refers to it. The resurrection was understood. And he's going to be calling these people back to that power But that wasn't the question that was going on. The question was the big idea of the gospel and the the implications of of the resurrection. Verse 3, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. So if you're familiar with Paul's writings, and we're going to cover several of his letters over the coming year, this is typical for him. He he offers some sort of a greeting, um, but this is a pretty, by Paul's standards, this is a pretty brief greeting. Uh, He certainly offers grace and peace, and and in some ways the structure of this letter uh, was not that dissimilar from just, you know, non-Christians that would write letters. This is kind of how you wrote a letter back then. Um, instead of saying, you know, dear Joe, it would be grace to you and peace. And uh, he added, from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He wants to move really quickly to his main point, and we see that in verse 6. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For am I approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. So Paul is shocked by a couple things, right? He's shocked by the fact that they have um, turned to this different gospel, and we'll get into what that different gospel is. They have turned to some different gospel, which he says really isn't gospel. But he's not only astonished by that, he's astonished by how quickly they turned from it. Just... You know, from when he last heard of the church till now, which probably was a span of months or perhaps uh, a year or two at the most, probably, this has really happened quickly. Um, you know, there must be some result. I, I, I think about this. There must be some of the result of the fall that has put within each of us this tendency to have selective memories. Uh, We just left Joshua, right? And when we left Joshua, we saw that within a generation, that great promise that they had made, that the people of Israel had made to Jesus, well, to God at that time, 
to follow his commands, to, to finish the work that was there before him, to, you know, not marry the local women, as Daddy was saying. <clears throat> Within a generation, that was gone. They'd totally forgotten. They were doing their own thing, right? So here we have the people of Galatia within not a generation, but a very short span of time. They've abdicated their original teaching and make it, made a quick turn to start having a different gospel. Um, very quickly. I'll come back to that concept uh, maybe later. There's a, um, there's a uh, phrase there where he says, you know, if anybody else tries to basically teach you something other than what I originally taught you, my Bible says let him be accursed. I don't know if you guys have anything else for that, but the, the Greek word is anathema. It's like the strongest denunciation. It's like truly I'm cursing you. I mean, I, I'm wishing bad for you, for anyone who's going to go against this. It's like as the Catholic Church uses this. If there's something that they really, really, really are against, then it's anathema. Um, that's what he's saying in the strongest, um, strongest of terms. Now, this verse 10, we can read into things a little bit. It says, for am I now seeking the approval of man? Now remember, or I, uh, in the, the background that Dad got into last week, and as we'll see throughout Galatians, one of the issues with the church in Galatia is that there were Jews there, Judaizers as they're called, who were trying to add things from Jewish law to the gospel saying that there are rules and ceremonies, circumcision and so forth, that you can't be a Christian unless you do these other things too. All right? And Paul was teaching that no, they didn't have to do these extra things. So some were accusing Paul of going easy on the Greeks, easy on the Gentiles, um, in order to gain their approval. He's going to go easy on them, not have as many requirements for them. And he's saying, I'm rebuking these people. Does it sound like I'm trying to get their approval? I'm not trying to get their approval. Okay, so this is one of his little, you know, rebuttals to the prevailing notion that he was trying to win the approval of man. He said, no, that's not what I'm trying to do. There's only one person I'm trying to get his approval, and that's Jesus. All right, verse 11. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Do you hear the echo now of that earlier salutation? Again, Paul is defending his position. Right. First, he kind of defended his authority, and now he's, in essence, defending the gospel, defending the message that he preached. Verse 12 again, For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. 
For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people, so extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then, after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days. Cephas is another word for Peter. Verse 19, But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. And what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. (laughs) I guess maybe some people were even questioning that. And he just, you know... (laughs) Um, Verse 21, then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing, it is said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy, and they glorified God because of me. So I want to call out the ways that Paul has defended the gospel. First of all, he defends the gospel based on the authority of its source. He's saying again, this was given to me by Jesus. This wasn't something dreamed up by a man. This was given to me by Jesus. In fact, you know, I'll just say this on the side. If you've ever thought about, whenever maybe you've been taught about apologetics and about really defending your faith against someone else. And honestly, sometimes it just seems so hard. You know, how can I really orient my brain and know all the arguments and and really counter this person? I think one of the simplest apologetic comments you could make to someone who who would question the Christian faith and especially question the Bible, and that is to say, you know, if the writers of the Bible were really trying to just invent a religion, they wouldn't have written the Bible like they did. The the Bible is nothing but a bunch of, it's a bunch of mistakes. It's all the bad stuff that people do. You know, I think, you know, all other religions pretty much say, oh, here's all, you know, here's the goodness of our faith, and here's, if you follow this, you know, you'll have a great life. The Bible just says, first of all, you can't follow it. Nobody ever did. Everybody screws it up. And and even if you did do everything, that still wouldn't work because there's something fatally wrong with you. I mean, this is not a religion that anybody would invent. I just think that's one of the big picture arguments that works for any kind of apologetic. All right, Paul's defending the gospel because of who it came from. Jesus Christ, and then he's defending it by noting the power of its effect, especially on him, because he says, in effect, I'm a new man. I was once this way, and now I'm this way. The gospel had the power to change me. He also says, this isn't just a snap decision thing that I'm preaching. This isn't just, 
I heard something that sounded good to me, so so now I'm just going to do this other thing as just kind of a quick decision. He said, no, I, after my conversion, I spent three years processing this, trying to make sense of this new understanding in light of the many, many years of tradition in Judaism that I'd been taught. You know, I had to grapple with this. I, I spent some time trying to understand this. This isn't, this isn't just uh, a fleeting fancy for me. And he also defends it by noting that he connected with the founders of the movement, people who knew Jesus personally, so that, in effect, they could endorse him. Not that that was the source of his authority, but he's, he's you know, what I'm preaching, in essence, you know, Peter and James, they've kind of checked off on this. And if anybody that's alive would know, it would be, it would be them. Then the other thing is, he, he says, my reputation has changed. Um, I was once recognized across the whole reach of, really, of Judaism. I had a reputation, and now I've got a different reputation. Even people who don't know me, like the church in Judea, the, the church down around Jerusalem, you know, they never met me, but yet they have heard how my life is different, and they glorified God because of me. They didn't see something that was just Paul the zealot. They saw something that was Paul, who used to be the zealot, God did something in him, and we don't give Paul the credit. We glorify God because of that. Those are all the ways that he's defending the gospel. All right, that's our overview. So let's, uh, let's try to make some application here. By the way, I'll say this. Uh, I'm not sure um, how this uh, lesson was supposed to turn out. Um, Sometimes at, uh, I don't know, I spend anywhere from two to five hours on lesson prep. And so I, I knew I was going to be busy yesterday afternoon, so I spent about two or three hours yesterday morning. I opened my computer, computer this morning. I get up really early to finish up, and it was all gone. No. It was all gone. So, um, so here we go. I guess God wanted me to just get to the text again. So there we go. Or he just wanted me to hit the save button. All right. Um, why was it important for Paul to assert his authority early on? Obviously, he wants to make the argument. He wants people to listen to him. So I got to thinking about this concept of authority. How is it that people get authority or... What are some ways that people exert authority? This can be audience participation. When you think of someone who's in authority, what is it that puts them in authority? Some are elected to the position. Okay, so some people we have kind of delegated authority. We have yielded authority to them, or, or maybe there's some institution that has placed authority in them. All right. An ability. 
All right, so sometimes there's authority just because of the force of a person's personality, their charisma. They can just um, have such a demanding presence that that carries some authority. Okay, good. Possessions? Possessions? Possessions. Certainly uh, you can have authority because of your wealth, uh, and what you can do with that. There's a certain power with that, right? What about uh, having a history of, of uh, being involved? And showing an interest in and, and accepting responsibility and things like that. All right, so um, in a person's activities, it might build up a certain amount of credibility um, in a given profession, perhaps, or and we would recognize that as as giving them some authority. Great. Their knowledge sometimes in a particular area. Okay, just expertise, maybe their educational background, or maybe the experience in something. Um, uh, you know, if, if somebody wanted an authority on woodworking, um, they would not come to my side of the driveway. They might go to the other side of the driveway and talk to Mr. Bud. Um, if they wanted an authority on uh, electricity, they would um, quickly exhaust my knowledge. I might send them on down the road to uh, someone who knew more about that. Um, yeah, so we have a certain certain knowledge and expertise we might bring to something. Anything else? Endorsement by other people. Okay. So um, uh, there's kind of a, almost like a bandwagon effect um, that can happen. Uh, I think all those are great. Um, you can divvy it up a lot of ways. Uh, certainly you can have authority by the position that, that you're in. You know, maybe a parent, maybe a job title might give you a position. Um, maybe, uh, uh, you know, it, we often saw it, I guess in some ways still do, uh, sometimes just the order in which you were born. You know, back in the day, if you were first born, that gave you certain authority. We see this in some of the, you know, like the UK and the hierarchy there. Um, there's a certain... Uh, Sometimes power gives you authority, you know, and law enforcement, or sometimes, uh, you know, if you have a weapon, you might have authority over someone who doesn't have a weapon. Um, uh, there's authority you can get from influence, you know, like the media has a certain, you know, power over us sometimes, um, advertising uh, probably more than we'd like to admit. So I got to thinking about authority, and a couple points from that is, if Paul is who he says he is, if he has a message and a calling straight from Jesus, then if we're going to claim to be followers of Christ, then we need to be in agreement with what Paul's telling us as well. Uh, this word, an apostle, apparently there was a common use of the word back then that essentially meant ambassador. I, I am claiming to be an actual representative of this person who has called me. And, um, and I am, in essence, going to be the presence of this person to, in essence, speak on his behalf, you might say. Just almost like an ambassador from the U.S. might represent U.S. interests on foreign soil, um, Paul is, is claiming to be that person who has the authority to, to speak the message that Jesus gave him. Uh, so we need to, to be willing to accept that authority as well. 
this might sound so obvious, but there are people who look at some of the different, you know, if you read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you read a lot about Jesus, some of the things Jesus says, if you kind of pick them out, if you don't think about them carefully, almost seem to be at odds with things that Paul says. All right? Um, examples later. But there are people who say, oh, I believe all the stuff that Jesus said, but I don't believe the stuff that Paul wrote. Really? But there are people who, who do that. So if there's any of you out there, if you know any people like that, that's not a good position to put yourself in. So Paul has authority not over just the churches in Galatia, but on, over us as well via the message that he, that he gave. Uh, but the, the more perhaps important question for us is, who are we going to let have authority in our life? All right, so there's, you know, sometimes there's authority and then there's whether we submit to it. And um, just a question to ask ourselves, you know, who are we going to let have authority over our life? Um, the other thing I'd like to call out is um, if you look in verse 7, it says, There are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. There are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. I've mentioned before, and it's been very obvious to many of you, the world is full of self-help books, right? Full of what? Self-help books. You know, ten ways to a happier whatever, or ten ways to a wealthier whatever, or ten ways to whatever. Um, and it, it, it almost seems to imply you have a self-defect and the fix is for you to do something differently. I think that's just partially true. We know that there are things certainly wrong with us from the inside out. I mean, just because we still kind of have that echo of our sin nature that we're going to be grappling with for a while yet. Um, I think we fail to recognize that there are outside forces, things that are not inside but outside of us that want to harm us. You know, if you don't believe that there's really a Satan who wants bad for you, then you're not paying attention. Um, there really is an adversary who wants bad for us and our families and our legacy. And we need to be aware of that. And Paul is calling it out. There are people who actually, you see what he says? They want to distort the gospel. I don't think we think about that very often, that, you know, we think, you know, we're just kind of in this nebulous fight. But there's a real adversary out there, and we need to, we need to, you know, take that soberly. Um, In the latter part of our section, verse 11 and following, we basically have some autobiographical information, right? And one commentator brought out the point that 
when you hear a conversion story, the author of that story almost always does something that they're calling biographical reconstruction. Biographical reconstruction. There was a, of their life and how they were telling it, but then at the time of their conversion, something changed in them so radically, they have to go back and tell the story differently now. In fact, they have an entirely different story to tell because of a conversion. Um, have you, any of you guys seen the, um, the new Bear Grylls show, the English outdoorsman who, you know, you know, runs through the swamps and climbs hills and all this sort of stuff. Well, he's got this new show where he takes a celebrity and basically takes them through some wilderness challenge and in the process he interviews them and so forth. And there was one, I, I think, week before last. He had um, Deion Sanders, the ex-NFL football player. And as they were winding down at the end of their first night, um, he got to talking. And Bear Grylls, by the way, is a, actually a really strong Christian, if, if you don't know. But um, So he was, but not in your face about it, but, but very much uh, a professing Christian. He got to talking with Deion Sanders, and Deion Sanders started telling the story of his life. He had fame and all this football, and, and he said the money wasn't enough, the fame wasn't enough, the sex wasn't enough, and he talks about this crisis point where he says his wives left him, because there were multiple wives, his children. And ultimately, he said, he threw his hands up and, and basically said, God, i got to come back to you. And he talked about his profession of faith and how everything was different. He changed his life. He got custody of his kids again. He said, I'm the best father in the world. He said, I braid my girl's hair. I, you know, he did everything. But he said it was because of the change in his life through his faith in God. Uh, in fact, it's kind of entertaining because when he was trying to climb this rock wall that I certainly wouldn't have climbed, he started speaking in tongues. It was, it was great. They showed the whole thing. I thought it was awesome. <laughs> um, you know, I, and I'll say this. For today's generation, I think that could be as powerful as Billy Graham was 40 years ago. Um, it's going to take a, a, the same message, but maybe a different messenger for this generation. Same message, but uh, anyway, so we have this arc of Paul's story. So it made me think. Um, he had his conversion. There was this time where he deepened his faith. There was this time where he was spreading the gospel. And then there's this time where he is contending for the faith and, and trying to correct error that he's seeing. So the question for us is, what's my story? What's the arc of my story? Can I tell my life story in such a way that People see that before and after, and then where I know where I've been and where I'm going. So what is the arc of my story, and how does that involve Jesus? Um, 
as the Judaizers were grappling with the gospel, the whole concept, you could just tell it didn't feel like enough to them. The work that Jesus did on the cross, saving their sins just through grace, not by works, it didn't seem like enough. It seemed like they needed to do more, something different. Um, and I think sometimes when we get ourselves in a jam, we want to take every other fix other than the simplest one. Right? I mean, the classic one is is when you're lost, going faster, you just get more lost quicker, right? Well, they tell you when you're lost, the first thing to do is stop. At least you'll know you're not going wrong anymore, right? Um, sometimes when you realize there's a mistake, the best thing is to go back and try to do it the right way, which sometimes is the simplest way. Quick story. So um, yesterday we had uh, Max and Sarah over. It was Sarah's birthday and found out she had cupcakes on her mind for her birthday. Uh, I like to cook, but I'm not a baker. Uh, I may have made brownies like five years ago, but so I got a box of cupcakes. I said, I can do this. Got the mixer out, I got my stuff, I put the mix in and the eggs and the water and so forth. Got the cups in the thing, filled them all up in the oven, set the timer, and I'm actually washing the bowl. And I notice the box, and it says, it, it was big pictures, okay? There was no fine print to blame here. One third cup of oil. <laughs> so I start thinking, just how important is this cup of oil? <laughs> is that really necessary? Maybe if I adjust the temperature on the stove, it'll still turn out right. Maybe I could, like, put a few drops in each cup and kind of stir it up. You know, I started to think of all the wrong ways I could fix this problem. Well, finally, I realized, okay, took them out of the oven, put the bowl back in there, and it took the little cups and squirted each one back into the bowl, added the oil, turned the mixer back on, Started over. They actually turned out really good, right? The cupcakes were great. But I, I had to go back and do it the way the box told me to, right? I had to do it the way the box told me to. My shortcuts, my remedies were not going to work. Um, the gospel is super, super simple. The stuff we add to it, the stuff we try to tack on to it, uh, it never gets us where we want to get to. Because it usually involves something that we do, right? Rather than something that Jesus did. Um, this is going to be an ongoing story, right? Um, one of the questions I want us to all ask at the end of either of our lessons just says, because of the gospel, I can blank. Or because of the gospel, I will blank. Right? How is your life affected by the gospel now? I didn't get into it, but there's that phrase in the first part of the chapter that says, 
He gave us the gospel to deliver us from this present age. We think of the gospel getting us ready for the next age, and I'm all about that. But he also gave us the gospel to deliver us from this present, what kind of age was it? Evil age, right? So, even, the, even Christians need Jesus, right? Even Christians still need the gospel. We can strap on sections of the law as quickly as the Galatians did, and we need to just be aware it's all about Jesus, and fixing our mistakes is always going to take us back to the cross. Same remedy. All right, I better hush. Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the work that he did on the cross. We thank you that the gospel was enough, and it still is enough to fix all our mistakes. And that if we're ever in doubt about how to get out of a jam, the best answer is usually the simplest, to go back to how you intended things, to go back to the cross. We thank you for Jesus. In his name I pray. Amen. Thank you so very much.